No. Okay, wait. I hit record. Like, okay, I just hit record as well. Okay. Could you being like, Oklahoma, that might be on the same. <laughs> and I was like, I know why exactly you're saying that. <laughs> It'll be interesting to hear your thoughts about my person. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. I will not remain hidden figures. We have names. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, Deanna. Hey, Han. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. And we are recording our podcast, Good Witches, Bad Bitches. That is the thing we're doing right now, and it is a podcast that is about women and feminine folk throughout history and into modern day, and uh, that's the basic gist. So if you don't want to hear about women in a casual format, um, maybe not the right place for you. (laughs) See you later. You can can leave. You can leave. Uh, (laughs) But if you are somebody who cares and wants to listen to us just kind of chat about some cool people... Welcome. Welcome. We, we, we are happy you're here. And uh, my notes are a little bit long today, so I am going to just kind of dive right in if you're cool Please. with that. All right. Of course. So today I am talking about Sashin Littlefeather. Does that name ring a bell for you? It does. Okay. I didn't know if you would have come across her at all when you were um, researching I, Wilma. I, I don't know who she is or her story, but I, I know of her. And I now have an idea of the video you probably sent me. Okay, yes. So, yes, I sent you a video. Um, is, it, is it Hollywood related? It is Hollywood related. Some people okay, listening so then might is the know. the person I'm thinking of. Probably. Yeah, I thought you might have another (laughs) reason for potentially knowing her. Um, So with that, I have a bunch of sources. So I'm just going to go ahead and list them off. Um, Of course, I used Wikipedia. Um, I got some great information from The Wrap from an uh, uh, from an article by Tim Malloy. Um, HuffPost, uh, an article by Mark Tilson. KQED, which is a radio station, I think in San Francisco, oddly enough, and it Uh was an interview with Sashin by Chloe Veltman. Um, NativeTimes.com in an interview with Lisa Snell. Um, The Atlantic in an article by Emily Chertoff. Uh, An article in EW by Josh Rottenberg from 2013. And then I also found, and I may or may not have time to read much of this article, but I found an article in the New York Times um, that I may just have to link to depending on how long this gets, but I will link to it regardless. Um, So with that said, I'll give you just a little gist and then I will have you watch this video. So I'm so excited. In 1973... Marlon Brando sent a Native American actress, Sashin Littlefeather, to reject his Best Actor Oscar for The Godfather. 
and offer a firm, passionate plea for, a better, for better Hollywood representation of Native Americans. Her life and career were upended because of it, and she never worked in Hollywood again. Uh, yeah. And but Marlon Brando certainly did, so <laughs> Marlon Brando did. Yeah, I think that's absolutely worth mentioning and talking about, especially when we get to that portion of my notes. And that's obviously what she's best known for, but she is she's done so much and as you correctly guessed, she is an activist. So this was not her only um I don't know if claim to fame is the right word, but it wasn't the only thing that she's really known for doing. In fact, she did things later in life that I would argue are far more important and huge. Um, but this is the thing that that her name gets, you know, tossed around for. And mm. so with that said, I kind of want to, I want you to watch the speech that she makes at the Oscars really okay. quick. But I just feel like listening to it now would give us and you a sense of really who we're talking about. The winner is Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Accepting the award for Marlon Brando and The Godfather, Miss Shasheen Littlefeather. My name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. Excuse me. And on television in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening, and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. It's a lot, right? <laughs> that is, uh... Well, and also that she almost got booed off stage. And, but, but, more people clapped to shut up the booers and that was encouraging yeah yeah and but it still interrupted her time regardless exactly and it's just interesting to have some of that context for who she is because that is pretty much all anyone knows about her when you bring her up when you say her name so before we talk about that moment, I do want to just go into who she is and where she, you know, where she's from. So, Sashin Cruz Little Feather was born Marie Louise Cruz on November 14th, 1946 in Salinas, California. 
Her mother was a leather stamper from Phoenix, Arizona, and she was of French, German, and Dutch descent. Her father was born in the desert and was from the White Mountain Apache and Yaquis tribes. The couple moved to California while her mother was pregnant, but she was primarily raised by her maternal grandparents, who were Catholic. So she was half native, mm. but raised basically white. And this is because her family life was very tumultuous. Um, so mm -hmm. this is from an interview, the interview that she did with KQED in San Francisco. She said, my father, an Apache and Yaqui man, met my white mother at a saddle shop in Arizona. And then they moved to Salinas, California, because their interracial marriage was illegal in Arizona. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, my God, 1946. I, of course it was. Yeah, but well, Jesus. I mean, yeah, of course it was. But. Insane to think. I know. <laughs> um, when my father beat my mother, he made me watch as though it were an afternoon bargain matinee. That killed my soul, and not only because I loved my mother, but because I knew I was next. My white grandparents took me in. They raised me as a white person, but when I looked in the mirror, I knew I wasn't. I always knew I was Indian. But in those days, back in the 40s and the 50s, everybody wanted to be white. Because everybody in the radio or in the ads mm -hmm. and magazines and newspapers, everybody was white. It looked like a Clorox factory. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, when we used to go into, I know, <laughs> that cracked me up. Um, That's a good one. That's a good line. Yeah, she's got some good ones. Um, when we used to go into restaurants or whatever, and I used to go hand in hand with my white grandparents, people always looked at us funny. And I could tell, you know, intuitively <laughs> that something wasn't right. When I got older, I went on a car trip to the South with my mother, who was white, and then I found out exactly what was up when I went to use the bathroom. There was a police officer with a billy club who was looking directly at me. And there was a white bathroom and a black bathroom. The white officer looked at me and went with the billy club, pointing the billy club, pounding the billy club in his fist. And I thought out of, out of my best interest to use the black bathroom. My mother went into the white bathroom. And I can't tell you how much I cried and cried after that experience. And I... Well, yeah. Uh, why didn't her mom say anything? She's white. I don't know. It's, but, but, yeah, Kay, but that's your kid? Yeah, I, she did not have um, the open and accepting upbringing that Wilma Mankiller had. You know, she had a very different experience. Clearly. And I, I don't know that her mother... Where Wilma's white mother wanted to make sure that she knew about her yeah. heritage and her white mother learned how to speak Cherokee. Yeah, I, I think that um, yeah. Sashin's upbringing was a lot more, I mean, she had a lot of trauma associated with the native part of her family. And so I think that right. that was, and her mother did too. So, you know, it's, mm. it's a little bit, I don't know, it, it it's complicated and yeah, it's it's interesting that she had to have those experiences as a kid and that her mom just like <laughs> went, okay, I'll meet you outside. I'm going to use the bathroom and I'll just meet you outside. Like, I mean, I guess too, sometimes it's like you pick your battles and this was not worth in the moment for the mom. I yeah. don't know. Or maybe she didn't even think about it. I think she it. probably just didn't even think about it. Oh, 
or even just like yeah well you aren't white so it does make sense she's not black either but that's neither here nor there i guess and after i had several of those experiences i started to understand how blatant racism was open alive and well so i thought that was it was kind of important to start that in her own words because this was really what started her on the path to wanting to understand her heritage better because her dad really wasn't um, a catalyst for that. You know, she wasn't interested in it because of her family. I wouldn't think so. She was interested in understanding it because this was a thing that was causing people to be really awful towards her, (laughs) you know? And she was like, I need to understand myself and understand what this is. Well, and it makes sense, too, because it's like clearly people weren't ever going to let her forget who they perceived right. her to be. And I would think I would go, well, I don't even know who the fuck yeah, I am. exactly. So when she... But you clearly have a better idea about it yeah. than I do. So I might as well figure exactly. it out. So when she attended California State College at Hayward, she continued to look into her Native American identity. And in Oakland which we cross over with Wilma Mankiller a little bit in Oakland, um, or at least in the space that they occupied. She worked with the Intertribal Friendship House, one of the oldest Indian-focused urban resource and community organizations in the United States. I have no doubt that they crossed paths. Yeah. Because Wilma was like at all of those centers and helping run things. And in 1969, she became a member of Indians of all tribes and participated in the occupation of Alcatraz. (laughs) Hey! Hey. And um, this is where she adopted the name Sasheen Littlefeather, actually. So um, Timolay wrote in the rap, the takeover of Alcatraz by Native American activists was one of the most dramatic and wittily subversive protests in American history. In November 1969. See, this is good because I didn't get to go into it into great detail. And now you're going to go into. Yeah, I thought about um, interjecting a little bit in your episode last week. But I I realized, like, I'm going to be talking about this anyway. So now we can just, you know, now we can just go into it in a little bit more detail. So and it makes me so happy to. Yeah, it's now we have like it's really we have a little bit more context for everything. Yeah. Um, And this is where she would have crossed paths with Wilma um, more officially. So, yeah. So in November of 1969, the activists landed on the island and declared that they had, quote, discovered it, just as Europeans had claimed (laughs) to discover America, even though it was obviously already populated. (laughs) I love it. I don't know why that tickles me so much, but that's amazing. It's It's funny. It's, I mean, using humor to be like, hey, you remember that thing that your people did that was so fucking stupid? Like, here we are. We're showing you how fucking idiotic it was. Truly, it would be like if somebody walked into my house and was like, oh, my God, I just, what? I found <laughs> I this house. I'm going to live here. This is great. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> like, this is my I was house. here first, man. What the fuck? Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned last week, they held the island for 19 months, even as federal negotiators, the Coast Guard, and the FBI tried their best to drive them off. 
Um, they <laughs> issued the Alcatraz Proclamation, which I, I'm not going to read from, but I will link to, um, which included bitterly funny but pointed criticisms of U.S. policy and offered the same price mm. for Alcatraz that Europeans paid for Manhattan, $24, according to legend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. I used to live by that that spot that that allegedly happened. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Um, they also asked that the island, which had not been used as a prison since 1963, be turned into a site dedicated to Native American studies and spirituality. Um, spoiler, this did not happen. Alcatraz is still a, you know, museum today just a museum for the prison and man i'm mad that could have been really awesome i mean alcatraz was interesting to visit as a museum yeah a state park i think it's yeah it's a state park and a museum yeah they have a museum they have it's a self-guided tour throughout and they talk Mm -hmm. about the Mm -hmm. alcatraz occupation a little bit which is how i knew about it at all because Mm there's still um like signs that the that the occupiers put up <laughs> to proclaim that Alcatraz was theirs and and that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. So those yeah. things are still there and they are part of the tour but but you know, they didn't get what they wanted in the end from it. Except that they I mean what they what they wanted ultimately was um to to talk about the issues that were plaguing Native Americans and have that be something that became mainstream news. And in that, they succeeded, you know? It's very successful, So yeah. that's great. But yeah, they didn't get the Native American uh, spiritual center out of it. But their cause drew support from celebrities like Marlon Brando and Jane Fonda, who visited Alcatraz and... Jane Fonda yeah, is still being I know. awesome. Like she... I, <laughs> Let's talk about her I know. sometime, too. God, that's, if yeah, good point. We do need to talk about her. Because she is, she she has been doing, um, she's been an activist for a long time, aside from just being fucking hilarious and also being in Hollywood forever. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the, the band Credence Clearwater Revival donated money for a boat that they named the Clearwater, and that carried activists back and forth from the island. So when Wilma was going back and forth, she would have been on Clearwater, on the Clearwater ferry. And (laughs) dude, yeah, it's just so interesting. So the Alcatraz occupation was a time of cultural awakening for Sashin. She learned a lot about her cultural identity from the other Native Americans who took part. And she um, got to know elders who took her and other urban Indians under their wings. They would take them out for a week at a time to a traditional camp and teach them the old ways. She told the Native Times, they would teach us about sweat lodges, about the sacred pipe, and about cedar and sage. She learned how to skin a rabbit and how to dry a hide, and she learned about the dances and the drum. She said that her Navajo friends gave her the name Sashin, which means little bear. And that was, she was like, I love that. And that was, that was where that name came from for her. So she kept it. And it's just interesting. Like that is 
really where she learned about what being a Native American in modern America meant. But mm. w what's so fascinating about that for me is that, like, she didn't learn necessarily about her specific, like, her father's tribes. She was learning more about, like, the Native yeah. American predicament overall. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it makes And it's interesting to think about someone discovering a connection to their to a culture that they were never really exposed to as a mm -hmm. child so it's not this she chose mm -hmm. to do it and i there's i think that that is really fascinating and cool and admirable yeah um, like obviously i think as as my white ass sometimes i'm like oh yeah i I feel a connection to my German heritage or my Scandinavian heritage or my British right. heritage and, you know, the, the millions of, of little countries in Western <laughs> and Northern Europe that I am descended from. But it's not quite the same thing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I don't know, I just, I find that really yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, and I think that... I don't know, maybe it was different in the 60s, I'm not sure, but I think I would be interested to know if she experienced any pushback, you know, from the Apache tribe that she, that her father was from, because I think that that can be, as we talked about last week, that can be a problem for some modern Native Americans in that, like, you know, if you are not born on the reservation and you're not born into the culture that I think that there is a view sometimes that you are entitled to um, the, the heritage in the same way. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if she ever experienced that. It doesn't seem like she did, which is great. But I think she also came at understanding that part of herself in a very different way you know she didn't she didn't right. go necessarily straight to the reservation to understand from the elders there like what she was missing she went to yeah intertribal um centers and community centers to like get an understanding and the alcatraz occupation was also part of that um anyway i just i find that also interesting but brando's activism for Native Americans apparently predates Alcatraz. He was arrested in 1964, um, but not charged, because of course, you know, he's a white actor, um, for taking part in a, quote, fish in that Native Americans staged on the Puyallup River. He and Jane Fonda, again, were among several celebrities who visited Alcatraz to show support for the activists. But Brando and Little Feather didn't meet at Alcatraz. They met later on, after Sasheen had decided that she wanted to be an actress and spent several years doing commercial spots and bit parts on TV shows. In 1970, she was apparently mm. named Miss Vampire USA in a promotion for Dark Shadows, <laughs> which kind of cracks me up. Okay. Like, I can just imagine that promotion. But she was, you know... And also like a weird callback to Nora yeah, Smallwood. Yeah, a little bit. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to mention it. But she also apparently was like 
she used to get a lot of little bit parts in Italy because the Italians thought she was exotic looking and they liked how exotic she looked. Whereas Americans were like, the Italians who are notoriously olive skin toned and yeah. dark hair. <laughs> I know Sorry. that was, but that was why. Whereas Americans were like, we want the blonde, we want the blonde Bettys, you know, right. like that's what we're looking for. And that's it. Yep. So she got a lot of work in Italy for a little while, which is kind of funny, but I mean, she's very beautiful mm-hmm. from, you know, yeah. what I've seen. She's very conventionally attractive. I know. And... She's gorgeous in a conventional way. It isn't um it isn't like totally out there to call her beautiful. So, I don't know. Americans are fucked up. But uh <laughs> well, she was being made to use the non-white bathroom, you so. know? Americans are fucked up. Fucked up. (laughs) Um, So Playboy magazine apparently planned a spread called 10 Little Indians in 1972. Yes, they did. And even though Playboy is like known for actually being relatively progressive, that is still very, very, is very fucked up. And but she was one of the models for it. She was young and she was like, okay, if this is how I can start to get my foot in the door, then that's what I'll do. Um, well, yeah. But... I would not begrudge her that. She's not the editor in charge yeah, of that no. headline. Maybe she didn't even yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. That that's what it was going to be She was called. probably hired to come to a spread in Playboy and didn't know much beyond that, I'm sure. Oh, we're doing a, a, a bit focused on Native Americans, like to highlight... Yeah, you know. And she's like, cool. Like, yeah, I'll do it. And then and then 10 little Indians. (sighs) Yeah. And later on, she was like, I was young and stupid, you know, like I needed the money. And that was that was really it. But get that coin. Yeah. And they canceled the publication of it at that time because of um, because of the wounded knee occupation, which I will talk about a little bit later. But it was there there was another event happening at Wounded Knee that was like, oh, God, this would be really, it would just not look good for us to try and do a cheeky, you know, Native American spread at the time that this is happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they canceled yeah. it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and she was like, all right, well, that's fine. So she and Marlon Brando first made contact when she wrote him a letter asking if he was actually interested in Native American people's rights because she'd heard he was on Alcatraz and she was like, is this dude for real? Like, is he just, is it for show? What is it? And so she wrote him a letter. And that's yeah. kind of funny because <laughs> I feel like it's pretty evident based off of the multiple like events that he partook yeah, she in. She was and, young, man. She may but... not have known about those and, and just was like getting into her activism boots and doing doing mm-hmm. that whole thing. And she was at this point working at a radio station and um, he called into the radio station where she worked about a year later after her letter and they talked and got in touch. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so... What a fascinating person. <laughs> yeah, it like truly fascinating. And um, and she met up with him in Washington, D.C. a little bit after that when he was giving a presentation to the Federal Communications Commission. Um, so 
yeah, they got, they were just, they were in touch. They were talking. And the day before the Oscars, he was like, oh, shit, I'm probably going to win. I got to figure out what to say. And so he asked her just one day ahead if she would go and decline the award on his behalf. And holy uh, shit. Yeah. And he wrote a four page speech for this, for the moment when he won his Oscar, thinking that he would have all that time to give that speech. And, um, Nope. Yeah, well, and, and at the time, like, he would have. They didn't have a time limit. And he thought that the speech would have more power coming from her. So, and, and she was like, you know what? I think maybe you're right. And I would love to be able to get up there and and say all of this because I think it's super important. And um, if I have time later in this episode, I'll read some of it. But otherwise, I'll link to it. Because it is a really powerful fucking speech. Uh, you know, and he wrote it all himself. She probably helped a little bit. But, I mean, she was crediting him with having written it. And um, planned to do just that. She didn't have an evening dress. And so she wore a traditional Apache dress made of buckskin. Because she had one day. Which is better anyway. <laughs> At least that's what they thought, you know. Like get her up there in traditional garb and people will pay attention, I guess. But yeah. So, you know, one of the reasons that this was important to Brando and to Sashin was because what was going on at the time was bigger than just, you know, shitty Hollywood representation of indigenous people because that was part of what they were trying to protest. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, the Wounded Knee occupation had been going on for about a month by the time the Oscars were were due to air. And an FBI-ordered media blackout meant that no one in the country really knew about it. And Sashin later told... They can do that? The FBI can do a media blackout? Well, they barred anybody from coming in and reporting on it. And after a while, nobody really tried. That's not free press. Mm. Isn't that isn't that interesting? <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what she was protesting. That's in the Constitution. Hello. So she, <laughs> yeah, fascist? she she Hello? later told the Los Angeles Times that the Oscar broadcast helped publicize it enough that the FBI had to fucking stop. That there was enough public interest that they couldn't quietly sweep it under the rug yeah. anymore. And so I did want to talk like a little bit about what that um, what that was because I had I had never heard of it. Please, I have no idea. So um, it, the the Wounded Knee occupation began on February twenty seventh, nineteen seventy three, when approximately two hundred Oglala Lakota and followers of the American Indian Movement, which at the time was considered a very radical activist organization, um, right? Anybody with uh, pride in their minority heritage. Yeah, and to be fair, they were pretty radical. I mean, they were. <laughs> they were. You know, the fair, the Lakota fair. got in touch with them because they were like, hey, we're having this problem with our president who 
we think is really corrupt and we want to impeach him and we tried and we failed. So like, will you, American Indian Movement, help us um, get him out? And they came and they seized and occupied the town of Wounded Knee, South Dakota, because they were like, this will be very symbolic, um, you know, this particular town, obviously. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and they, they came and they seized it. And uh, yeah, people were apprehended and, and taken hostage at gunpoint. <laughs> so it was a little radical. Yeah, that you is know? pretty radical. You're yeah, right. You're right. it's it's. It, right. it, it's maybe not tactics that everybody would be like, yeah, that's super, um, that's super above board. So yeah, the protests followed the failure of an effort of the Oglala Sioux Civil Rights Organization to impeach their tribal president, whom they felt was corrupt um, and nepotistic and all of this shit. And um, mm. additionally, the protesters particularly AIM protesters, criticized the United States government and their failure to fulfill treaties with Native American people and demanded the reopening of treaty negotiations to hopefully arrive at fair and equitable treatment of Native Americans. And so they had Hmm. bigger goals, you know, more than just impeaching the tribal president. Like, they wanted to get the attention of the government and then make some some very valid demands <laughs> given uh, the right. ways that they had been failed over the years. So Oglala and AIM activists controlled the town for 71 days while the U- United States Marshal Service, FBI agents, and other law enforcement agencies cordoned off the area. The activists chose the site of the 1890 Wounded Knee Massacre for its symbolic value, as we've said. Um, And in March, a U.S. marshal was shot by gunfire coming from the town, which ultimately resulted in paralysis. A member of the Cherokee tribe and a member of the Oglala Lakota tribe were both killed in April of 1973 by um, gunfire from the marshals and FBI. (sighs) Yeah, apparently they were, like, opening fire with, like, machine guns and shit, and people were like, this is like Vietnam, because there were a lot of veterans there. Um, Yeah, and apparently a civil rights act, a black civil rights activist who joined the protesters disappeared during the events, and they think he was murdered, and nobody knows, like, who or how or why. By who? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this was all going on, and nobody knew. Nobody had any idea, and and so Brando and Little Feather hatched this scheme to um, basically bring media attention to it. Wow! At the March twenty seventh, nineteen seventy three ceremony, Sashin took to the stage while Brando was announced as best actor, and when Roger Moore offered her the Oscar, as you saw, she held out her palm to refuse it. Little Feather said she would give the news media a copy of the letter that Brando had written about atrocities committed against Native Americans. And she told the audience that Brando was declining the award because of the treatment of Indians today by the film industry and, um, mm-hmm. and on television movie reruns and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. So she was able to say Wounded Knee, what was, you know, that something was happening there. 
and managed right. to get media attention on it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, she ended her remarks and she left the stage to more applause. But when she left, she said, none other than John Wayne was waiting in the wings, ready to physically remove her. Oh. Yeah. He had to be restrained. Wow, what yeah. a shock. He had to be restrained by six security men. And the irony, as he would always play a uh-huh. cowboy who is in contentious uh, moments yep. with Native Americans. The irony was not lost on her either. Trust me. Uh, so after giving the speech, she spent two days in Los Angeles before returning to San Francisco. And when she visited Marlon Brando's house after the Academy Awards, they were talking and bullets were fired into his front door. Yeah. What? People were fucking mad. Also, this I find this super fucked up. After the awards, Playboy decided to run the photographs they'd taken as a standalone feature. <sighs> yeah. And so people were like, oh, you're exploiting your fame. Even though she had taken the pictures. They, blame, they blamed mm-hmm. her for that? Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, and so this is from Eden. I think... Playboy was taking exploiting her image. Yeah, it's it's so frustrating to me everything that happened to her after this and how Marlon Brando, as you mentioned, barely faced any sort of dent in his career. He he was fine. Hannah, he won an Oscar. Uh, I know. Well, (laughs) you know. Did he win it? He didn't accept it, but he he still won it. He didn't accept it, but he still won. For the greatest movie of all time. Did someone... Oh, fuck the Godfather. Sorry. I know that's a very polarizing statement. That movie was so boring to me. Oh, God. And so long. Yep. I'd rather watch Streetcar (laughs) for many reasons. Oh, God. So from the EW article... I just thought this was an interesting like snapshot of everything from after that day. But it says, in the wake of her appearance at the Oscars, Little Feather received little respect from Hollywood and the mainstream media, let alone understanding, love, or generosity, as she asked for in her speech. Um, Even as she was cheered by Native Americans for taking a civil rights stand, false stories soon spread claiming she was not a real Native American. That she had rented her buckskin Oscar dress, that she was just a wannabe opportunistically trying to ride Brando's coattails. And even though he asked her uh to do it, he went to her and said, Hey, would you do this? Because I think it would make more of an impact coming from you. There's so many layers of sexist, racist shit. Oh, yeah. Scoop it. Keep scooping that shit, Hannah. How much more do we (laughs) have? So much. Um, John Wayne said, if Brando had something to say, he should have appeared that night and stated his views instead of taking some little unknown girl and dressing her up in an Indian outfit. That's because he wanted to punch her, but it's not very uh, acceptable for men to punch women. So he wants, if Marlon Brando had said it, he would have punched him. Yep. Brando himself expressed some misgivings a few months later about the position that he would put her in. He said, I was distressed that people should have booed and whistled and stomped, even though perhaps it was directed at myself. They should have at least had the courtesy to listen to her. 
Like, no shit. (laughs) But, but, I mean, nobody had done anything quite like that before, so I don't think he could have anticipated how it would have been received. No. Because, I mean, today, anybody who goes up for their speech and makes some big political statement, they get cheered. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, unless they, they were to go up and be like, MAGA, but, like, come on. Yeah, that's a little different. It is, because one is for human rights and the other is not. That's correct. Facing what she saw as an all-out campaign to discredit and blacklist her, she soon abandoned any ambitions she'd had of an acting career and dropped almost entirely out of the public eye. Still, her Oscar notoriety never fully faded, apparently. In August of 2012, in an appearance on The Tonight Show, Comedian Dennis Miller cracked about then-Senate candidate Elizabeth Warren, who'd claimed some Cherokee oh, no. ancestry. He said, she's about, she's about as much Indian as that stripper chick Brando sent to pick up his Oscar for The Godfather. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. On both levels. Super great. What? So that was 2012. Yeah. Like, that was... People didn't forget about it. Well, it is a moment in history... To be fair, I am in the entertainment industry, so I have a bias, but I knew about yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. It's one you know about, especially when, like you said, you're in the entertainment industry. So, you know, she told the Native Times that newspaper articles printed afterwards were just horrible. And no one ever asked my side of the story. Of course not. Yeah. But she says, I knew I was on the right track when I got a note from Coretta King, Martin Luther King's wife. She told me she was proud of me. Uh-huh. I'm speechless. I know. Just mouth agog. And that's really, that's what she wanted. She didn't necessarily want fame in Hollywood. She wanted to make a difference. I mean, that is a way more significant on every possible level achievement, yes. I think, and honor. Yep. I agree. That's, that that helps withstand all the bullshit. And she and she felt that way too, you know. At the age of twenty nine, Sashin Littlefeather's lungs collapsed. Wow. And what? and I don't really both of them. Yeah, I don't really know the cause or what she was dealing with. They called it chronic illness in this article, but not what the illness is. But she did recover. And she went on to receive a degree in health and a minor in Native American medicine, having been healed in large part due to the holistic practices and Native American medicine that she used to recover. Wow. Yeah. And she also, she became really fascinated with food. You know, she went to Stockholm for a little while because she was like, I want to know where white people food comes from (laughs) and like what it's about (laughs) because white people food is what, gave me my illness and she really believed that and and felt like that was a huge part of of where you know issues for native americans and their health came from white bread white flour white sugar like all that stuff yeah well you know other people's health also wasn't doing so great from eating all of those things and still isn't it's spoiler alert <laughs> Yep, she was not wrong. Not wrong at all. 
from the um, KQED interview, she said, I did a lot of consulting work because Native American medicine people were going into the hospital to treat and pray for their American Indian patients. And much of this was misunderstood by the doctors and the staff. So we needed a group of us to go in and to educate everyone from the CEO down to the janitor about what Native American medicine was. Holy shit. Yeah. Super fascinating. That's huge, I think. I think so, too. I think the fact that, like, she recognized, especially from her own experience in the hospital, that, like, there was such an intense need for the the entire staff to understand, like, what was going on and what they were doing when they were engaging in holistic Native American practices, that she had to take on, like, consulting work to make sure people understood what was going on and and that lives were saved because of that so that they weren't misunderstanding everything and and you know fucking up <laughs> fucking shit up because of it yeah i mean even even if both doctors went to the exact same med school they would still need to have open lines of com- direct communication about treatment for a patient yeah and so can you imagine the sort of uh, fear and judgment if you don't even understand the style of medicine? Exactly. So the education is the key to unlocking that Yeah. sort yep. of understanding. Anyway. Yeah. And she was a big part of that. That, was, that remained a big part of her life. Even as she was doing things like she did in 1979, which was co-found the National American Indian Performing Arts Registry, which, yes, later helped several actors join the production of Dances with Wolves. Um, She shared an Emmy Award as an advisor to PBS's Dance in America, Song for Dead Warriors, 1984. She also worked on the PBS shows Remember Me Forever and The Americas Before Columbus. And she has produced films on Native American health. In 2000... Sorry, this was in the 80s that she did... PBS did a series about America before Columbus? That was uh, 1992. 1992. Okay, that makes slightly more sense. Yeah, so 84... I want to watch that, especially knowing that she consulted on it. So it's probably respectful and... like truly educational right yeah I think that um PBS came to her a lot it looks like because they did the first one in 1984 and then she worked on those two others in 92 wow and in 2009 she gave testimony in the documentary Real Engine about Native Americans in film real as in r-e-e-l So Sheen eventually ended up back in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she volunteered and worked with Native Americans dying with AIDS. And this is when she met Mother Teresa. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. She said, Marlon Brando didn't impress me the way Mother Teresa impressed me. She was somebody who worked with the poorest of the poor, but never tried to missionize anybody. She was just doing good works, period. Um, Hmm. 
Mother Teresa opened a Gift of Love AIDS hospice in San Francisco in 1988, and Sashin was one of the founders of the American Indian AIDS Institute of San Francisco, an educational and support group for Native Americans. Wow. So yeah, so she and Mother Teresa worked side by side during the AIDS crisis, and yeah, she said too many of her friends died in isolation with the incurable disease, and that really motivated her. Huh. So, um, yeah. So just like, okay, she just happened to go and work alongside Mother Teresa. Wow. That's so nuts. Yeah, it is nuts. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, Marlon Brando and now Mother Teresa. And, uh, you know, it's cool. It's fine. In 2016, she did a really good interview with the New York Times, which I am not going to quote too much of here I'll, I'll link to it but it was about the oscars so white hashtag hmm. because apparently jada pinkett got in touch with her jada pinkett smith um mm-hmm. got in touch with her to tell her that sashin's speech in 1973 had inspired her to boycott the oscars that year hmm. so she got in touch with sashin and was like hey um, just so you know, you're amazing and you inspired me and I would love to know if you think I'm doing the right thing by, by boycotting. Wow. And they had a really lovely exchange. I thought I would end with one of the interview questions from that article, the New York Times article. And it is, what do you think average moviegoers who aren't in the Academy should do if they think that representation in film and television is an important issue? She said... Let your dollars talk. Your dollars are the ones that make the difference. Support the films and the actors that you want to see again and again. That includes independent films. We should support them too and independent actors and actresses. You know, truth lasts forever over the decades of time. It doesn't go away. It resonates from one generation to the next, far beyond the time I will go to my grave. We have become a generation of diversity. We have mixed the coffee with the cream, so to speak. People have blended together. That is our truth, and our films should reflect that. So I thought I would end there because I, I really like that sentiment, and I felt like she worked so hard, um, not just in health and making sure that her people were comfortable and represented in the health system, but in Hollywood, you know, she, even after she was blacklisted, she did her best to make sure that there was representation of um, indigenous actors as much as she possibly could. Yeah. And I just think that's so important. It's still, it's, I mean, representation, (laughs) we've talked about this from day one, but representation matters. It's monumentally important. It is, you know, it's why after Black Panther first um, was in theaters, there were children all over the world dressing up as Black Panther and going to see that movie over and over again because it was one of the first times they had seen themselves in in a character like that. Speaking of, like, representation and specifically talking about Marvel... We, Alex and I, have watched this show called Marvel 616, but episode two is about women in comics. 
and both Trina Robbins, who you did an episode about. Yeah. And Sana Amanat, who I did an episode about, <laughs> yeah. are in it. And they oh. are also examples of why representation matters. So continue. I'm glad okay. you brought me that seg because I wanted to tell you about it. You should um, send me a link to that. I've never even heard of that. What is it? Yeah, it's just a it's a little show on Disney Plus that just it talks about different niche things. Like there's an episode about cosplay. There's an episode about women in comics. There's an episode about like forgotten Marvel characters. And it's oh, just, shit. It's, it's a fascinating documentary series. But the one about women is is particularly interesting to me and probably would be interesting to people who listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, I I agree. And uh, um, Gillian Jacobs directed it. Who she really? was on Community. Yes, yeah, she's the best. The name. Yeah. Uh, shit. Okay, that was Marvel six one six. Okay. Marvel six one six. Yeah. Okay, on Disney Plus. Yep. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of like representation matters, and and it's not just because like. Oh, then then we can say we had a character like this or then we can say we had a character like that. It is so that everyone gets to see themselves in media and in in the world, you know, they get to know and, and that in a respectful way, not a stereotype, not a like a silly version, realistic and respectful. Right. I mean, we want to so talk significant. We want to talk about representation like let's talk about the fact that one of the reasons the black vote was so powerful this year is because we had a black woman running for VP. We had, you know, we had so many people who were finally represented, so many black women who were finally represented potentially represented in uh, in politics in a way that they never have gotten to see themselves you know we had a, a black president black male president and that was fucking amazing and we didn't deserve it at the time but well clearly we didn't think so either you know it yeah swung in the other direction in the <laughs> worst possible way god but you know black yeah. women and we have talked about this many times on this podcast that they experience an intersection of prejudices that others do not get, others don't have to experience. And that's the same of indigenous women and, you know, women of color across the board. There are just so many reasons for us to be able to have that representation in politics, in media, et cetera, because it's just like, it's just long overdue yeah and um yeah so all of that being said I just think that Sashin's impact is huge and lasting in a way that in that speech in 1973 she could not have anticipated you know she could not Mm -hmm. have known that in 2016 Jada Pinkett Smith would be emailing her saying like hey that speech you did in 1973 inspired me to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I, it's just... And she only got noticed the day before. Yeah. Like she, a I, sudden, just like, trajectory change. Yeah. It's so... <laughs> it's, it's just... 
mind boggling that she went up there and she was so poised and so um, able to speak in a way that I rarely am able to do, <laughs> especially in a fucking in front of all those people in yeah, the midst no of all that booing, you know, I, and she just responded with a calm and collected. Excuse <laughs> I me. know. I would have lost it. I probably just would have started crying. Yes, exactly. Because like, if that's just like, what else? What else do you do? She's she's incredible, and so I think I will not read from the full speech, um, and I don't need to because it wasn't they weren't her words, but I will link to it in the show notes. It's definitely worth reading, um, but. Otherwise, I think I think that's it. I think that's the story of Sashin Littlefeather, and I will end it there. Dude, that was awesome. I, in particular, feel super inspired by this specific generation of Native American young people mm-hmm. all coming together around the same time and making such a big impact and being so culturally significant. I mean, for fuck's sake, we just talked about two women two weeks in a row who were born within a year of each other and were in the same part of the world with the same, like, ideas and ambition and... One became a, the first female chief of the Cherokee Nation and one made it like a lasting cultural impact that is still like talked about to this day. Yeah. <laughs> I know. What was in the water back then? And like, <laughs> how do we I mean, I think we're in another one of those eras right now. And I can't wait to see like the big leadership positions that, you know, leaders in the movements now end up with. So. I agree. Yeah. I mean, because it was back then it was civil rights. It was catalyzing for um, more than black people. It was catalyzing for a lot of marginalized groups. And, yeah. um, you know, there was there was and is a lot to fucking fix. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think we are in another era now where there are some really fucking amazing people who are young and ambitious and saying what is happening, you know, telling it like it is and being really honest about the work that we have to do. Yeah, not holding back. Yeah. So I'm, I, I agree. I think then, then and now I am... I am impressed by the women, the women in leadership these days and then. <laughs> Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. 
Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. What are you excited about? Oh, you know, um, about a week ago now, I got a tattoo. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And, <laughs> and it's you were beautiful. one of the first people to know about it when it's yeah. in its fledgling stages in my brain. And I directed you towards your tattooer even. You did. You sure did. Yep. <laughs> Shout out to Thistle Witch Tattoo in Longmont, Colorado, um, who have a very um, COVID friendly system and uh, setup. Mm-hmm. And it's a female owned tattoo shop with all female artists. It's a really cool place. Witches. Witches, man. I mean, like truly. Mm-hmm. Don't they have a, a Wicca shop underneath the... Yeah, Cactus Coven, I think it's called. I love it. That's mm-hmm. just so on brand. For this podcast. Yeah. So giving, <laughs> giving them a shout out. I love it. For making a bitch feel safe and <laughs> welcomed. Dude, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. I love your tattoo. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Me too. And uh, yeah, well, then I think we are concluded and if you want to reach out to us, you can in various places. We are um, at GWBB Podcast on pretty much all social media. We are GWBB Podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us and tell us some cool things. Um, we have a Ko-Fi, which you can buy us a coffee or a Patreon, again, at GWBB Podcast. And uh, otherwise, I think we are getting up to the holiday season. So, you know, if you want to do anything present-like but um, not an actual present, you can donate to Fair Fight still. That should be going on until, uh, I think, I mean, January. The runoff is January 5th. So, yeah. Help us get John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock elected. And that would be the best present that anyone could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. And with all that said, peace out, witches. See you later. That's <laughs> so dorky. <laughs> I like it. for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh, shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast <laughs> become a patron and help us 
you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.